Hello and welcome into another edition of the Todd Pod. I am your host, Todd Lizenby. We're going to be talking OU football. We're going to be talking Premier League football on this episode. But first, we're going to be thanking our sponsors, MidFirst Bank, the Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Drive in to your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. He is Eli Letterman. He is Gatsby. He is OU uh, beat writer, coverer. What do we call you now here at selloutcrowd.com? I don't know. I've gotten a lot of different tags. I wear a lot of hats, but no, OU beat writer, especially in season on the Sooners. You, you know what I do all week. He travels with the Sooners and he witnessed the loss in Lawrence for Oklahoma on Saturday. We're going to talk plenty about that. He's also a big fan of proper football and Tottenham Hotspur who are top of the table still in the EPL. We'll talk about that later on in the show as well. But first, let's start in Lawrence, where the Sooners lost for the first time this season. Jason Bean leads the Jayhawks on the game-winning drive. Oklahoma comes up just short. Uh, Just kind of in general, Eli, what were your thoughts when you got in the car to drive home from Lawrence, I believe, on Sunday morning? Uh, Thank God I'm dry and starting to warm up because the (laughs) rain... It was serious out there. It, it played whatever role it did in the game. You know, they mentioned it, uh, the coaching staff about throwing the football. I don't know how that, that might ring hollow to a lot of OU fans, but it was a cold, wet, rainy, miserable day in Lawrence, and it turned into a cold, wet, rainy, miserable day for the Sooners in Lawrence. It was not, it was not good. And uh, obviously, OU picks up its first loss of the year, but it was really the manner in which they did it. Um, and, and the opportunities they threw away that defined the whole thing. It was the coaching mistakes. It was uh, the turnovers. It was seeing uh, a, a fumble out of the backfield from, from a wide receiver and a muffed kick from a defensive end on, on a kick return. It was that kind of day for OU. And then they found more ways to, to just kind of muck it up for themselves. And now they head into Bedlam coming off not just the first loss of the year, but a deflating loss that I think exposed a lot of cracks. And suddenly going from, you know, are we talking playoff, but talking got to make sure that you still make the big 12 title game because that's not even a given at this point. Yeah, I think you got to queue up Jim Moore right now. Playoff, just got to win a game. Uh, That's the way it feels Mm -hmm. with Oklahoma right now because they're nearly on a two game losing streak coming into this weekend in Bedlam. Uh, You know, it feels like right now the season definitely peaked in the Cotton Bowl, and Oklahoma's going to have to do something to get that uphill climb going again, and uh, they're going to have to do it quick with Bedlam looming, which we're going to talk about. So last week, Eli, we played a game. We called it Just Fine or Freak Out, right? And I think there were some of the things we talked about that maybe now we're really freaking out about if you're looking at the OU side of things. But I'm going to play a little bit different game with you this week. We're just going to call it WTF. So let's start with this one. Dylan Gabriel threw the ball 19 times, seven of those in the final drive. WTF, Eli? Um, equal part. There, there's parts that make sense and parts that are completely puzzling. On the make sense front, uh, like UCF, this was a rush defense that Oklahoma was supposed to be able to, to run the ball on. Uh, they struggled on their first two drives when they decided that Tawi Walker should be the guy carrying the football to the backfield. Ta-da, the, the offense worked and the run game worked. So that made sense to lean on, especially in that weather. However, particularly late in that game, the seeming lack of confidence, I, I don't, can't say it for sure, but it, it certainly spoke that way about 
putting the ball in Dylan Gabriel's hands and letting him make plays in the air was striking because on the other side, you had Jason Bean, a backup quarterback, uh, and, and Kansas was letting him, you know, fly with it. Now that, that nearly burned Kansas, he threw two picks late in that game that should have cost them if Oklahoma could have taken advantage. But he was also there on that game-winning drive for the Jayhawks, and, and he was part of the reason they got down the field and, and scored that go-ahead touchdown. I don't know how you can justify Dylan Gabriel throwing 19 times. As you mentioned, most of those coming, or a, a big bulk of them, I think it was the, the final seven came on uh, OU's final drive when they were trying to get downfield and get the, uh, the go-ahead touchdown that never came. It's really hard to sit there and, and you know, hear, hear Jeff Levy, let's say, talk about play calling uh, or, or little things when it might have been as simple as just letting Dylan Gabriel throw the ball a bit more. That is a WTF. Jaleel Farouk in the backfield. Well, let me just say this first before I get to that one, actually. I just, I just want to just put this out there. If USC's playing a road game, even if it's raining, do you think Caleb Williams has thrown the ball 11 times going into the fourth quarter? If Probably North not. Carolina's playing a road game, even if it's raining, do you think Drake May's thrown it 11 times going into the fourth quarter? Or Washington with Michael Penix or Oregon with Bo Nix? Of course not. Um, if Dylan Gabriel is a Heisman finalist type quarterback to me that's almost coaching malpractice to not have him put the ball in the air more and it's not like it's not like in those 11 throws he was three for 11 either I think he was nine for 11 going into the fourth quarter he's either nine for 11 or nine for 12 but it just makes no sense that he didn't throw the ball more all right let's go to the next one Jaleel Farouk in the backfield WTF Eli in the abstract, I don't mind it because Jaleel Farouk, as Andrew Anthony described him earlier this season, his comp is Debo Samuel. And I do believe putting the ball in Jaleel Farouk's hands any way you can, he's one of those guys. So get him in the backfield, get him in, in motion, find ways to get him involved in the game. That's what Oklahoma should be doing. However, it wasn't working with him out of the backfield. And at that time, it's worth noting, late in the game, Tawi Walker was sidelined with an ankle injury. You could argue that Jaleel Farouk might have been their best option out of the backfield. But at the point that Jaleel Farouk ran straight up the middle on a handoff and fumbled in what was a pretty key turnover and shifting the tide in that second half, Tawi Walker was averaging 6.9 yards per carry and looking great. And it's really hard to sort of sit with those two things, I think, if you're an OU fan, is that you had a guy who finally had emerged. We've been waiting on a running back all season. Some would have argued weeks ago that Tommy Walker was the guy. He certainly didn't make himself available, uh, getting himself suspended for the UCF game. But point is, he came back and he was that dude. And that was what made the offense run. Three state, uh, straight scoring drives in the second, uh, second quarter, all powered by Tommy Walker. So how Jaleel Farouk was taking a handoff at that point in the game is striking, and it was really the one of the first in the series of errors that led to Oklahoma leaving there with a loss. All so right, WTF, next one, man. WTF. Yeah. Next one for you, another WTF. All the undisciplined penalties. WTF, Eli. Yeah, you had what Savion Bird in the first half kept blocking into the sideline. Some folks felt like you know it was just part of the play, but <coughs> so disgusted. I, I got a cough. <laughs> well, while you, while you do that, I mean, you also had the 30 yards on the one drive, right? Yep. Which came in a pretty big point in the game. on that drive. Yeah, 45 right. 30, on that drive. 30 in one there play, was, yeah. Uh, 30 on one play, and one of those, you know, Brent Venables didn't really confirm it. He confirmed after the game that it wasn't him who picked up the bench penalty after Kendall Dolby's unnecessary roughness, but I think it might have been Bill Biedenboe, offensive line coach, and in your head, you're like, 
The defense was on the field. It was a defensive penalty. The offensive line was rotating guys all game. What was the offensive line coach doing anywhere near that play and, and then ultimately having a really real impact on it? It was a 65-yard scoring drive for Kansas. They gave them 45 yards. I mean, that was a huge, huge killer. And that is not, uh, well, I guess at this point, maybe it is reflective of what OU is, is that the discipline issues have seemed to pop up over the last three, four weeks. And they've nearly, they nearly cost them against UCF, could have cost them against Texas, did cost them against Kansas. That is one that you're scratching your head on. And, and you know, we, when we've talked about coaches being a reflection of their team or, or vice versa, teams being a reflection of their coach, all the good that we attributed to OU over the first part of the season with Brent Venables, you got to look to some of the bad as well and wonder what it is that, that has made discipline such a, such a sticking point over the back half of the season so far. Well, it's been, uh, it's been very 2022 the last couple weeks, just when it comes to mm-hmm. some key moments and plays that uh, have been made, you know, or have not been made or mistakes that have been made, mental errors that have been made. Uh, within those plays. So uh, not a good look right now heading into Bedlam. I'm going to throw one more at you, actually a couple more, but how about this one? Three straight 100-yard rushers against Oklahoma. Uh, WTF, Eli? Well, they've gone up against some really impressive running backs. You look at Jonathan Brooks at Texas, RJ Harvey at UCF, and then Devin Neal from Kansas. They haven't just been giving up these big rushing days to to slow rushing offenses. However, it, it it's noteworthy, particularly with Ollie Gordon waiting in Stillwater this weekend. And it's a place the Sooners have to tighten up. I think we always felt like the secondary was one of their strengths, the pass defense. Still giving up some big chunk plays, but on the whole, they're not getting picked apart the way they were a year ago. But it's up front and in the linebacking core, which we felt so good about at points this year. Danny Stutzman, before he left injured, Jaron Kanick, they both struggled. Kip Lewis was, was pretty impressive in relief. But point is, uh, at at the first level and then in the linebacking game, they've been lagging and tackling and you know, they're, they're going to see good running backs. We know what Ollie Gordon can do in Stillwater. That's, that's kind of going to be one of those X factor matchups, right? Like what can they do with Ollie Gordon? Can they contain him? It's what we're all going to be wondering about. Uh, it is got to be concerning if you're an OU fan and if you're Brent Venables going into this next game, knowing where the run game has been such an issue for them. Okay. This last one, we talked on Sunday on the phone when you were heading back home. You were a grad of where? Uh, the University of Missouri. And you covered a game where this weekend? Lawrence, Kansas. And Missouri's arch rival is who? University of Kansas. And you told me you loved your time in Lawrence, Whoa. Kansas. WTF, Eli. I'm throwing, it, I'm throwing it out there. You told me. Probably in confidence, I might be, you know, <laughs> breaking some rules here. But you told me you love Lawrence, Kansas. Said it's a lot like Columbia. Oh man, you're giving me a hole to dig out of. I loved my time there. I loved spending time with Silla Crowd, Kali Garanemic, a KU grad, his wife Christy, a KU grad, and their kids, KU grads, and a son-in-law who played football at Kansas. For Jayhawks, they are delightful people. It's amazing what what good hearts can overcome. And what I would say is that for as much as Columbia and Lawrence and the schools there can't stand each other, they have a lot of similarities. So I enjoyed the visit to KU, enjoyed getting to see Lawrence with some KU grads. Would I say love Lawrence, Kansas? Mm, That's a stretch. Uh, The rain in Lawrence, Kansas, that's for damn sure not a fan of. But uh, as I told them over the weekend, 
I hate how charming Lawrence, Kansas can be sometimes. I'm sure Brent Venables and co. did not feel like it was a, a very charming place on Saturday, but on the whole, charming enough. No Columbia, Missouri. Don't don't worry there. My heart's not not getting too soft, but uh, it was an all right time. I don't know if you hear that beeping in the background, but you are backing that truck up a lot since you talked to me yesterday. <laughs> I mean, because you were you were telling me how great Lawrence was, how you wanted to start a family and raise kids there. Uh, that you thought that they were a better university, just overall mm-hmm, aesthetically, mm-hmm. all those things. So it's crazy yeah, that to, you back you to present so the far. tapes on that. Perhaps it was that I was <laughs> white knuckling the drive uh, in the rain back from Kansas and just holding on for dear life. I was just happy to, I don't know, I was maybe more appreciative and reflective in those moments than I am right now. Yeah, well, I mean, you you spend a day in uh, pouring down rain and cold, and then driving home in the same. It does make you appreciative and reflective uh, of the small things like being able to hang out with some friends in a college town like Lawrence, which I will I will say spent a lot of time in Lawrence as well, going to school down the road in Ottawa for a year. And it is a really awesome place. I really enjoy it as well. All right. Let's look to this weekend. Bedlam. Last one for a long time, uh, maybe in our lifetimes, if the Sooners and Cowboys either decide they don't want to play each other in the regular season or don't end up matching up in a bowl game. Um, but just in general, your thoughts going into this weekend from the Oklahoma side of things, what do you think Oklahoma state can do? And I know Ollie Gordon stands out like it's in a highlighter yellow, but what do you think Oklahoma state can do that could give Oklahoma problems this weekend? Well, they're a very different offense, but in the same way that UCF and you and, and Kansas could test the Sooners, I think so can OSU in terms of big plays. I don't think they're going to put together you know, 10 scoring drives and just methodically take the Sooners apart this weekend. But can OSU do what Kansas and UCF did, produce big plays, run all over the Sooners and and make things happen when they need to? Absolutely. And for an Oklahoma defense we felt so good about just a few weeks ago, that's kind of now what we're back talking to is, is can they stop the big plays? Can they stop, you know, a, a high level runner and, and contain the run game? Those are totally open questions as we head to Stillwater. And that's where I think your concerns start. It's just this, this Oklahoma State offense that was felt like a wild card at one point and now just feels like a consistent, uh, consistent item in terms of what they bring to the table. They're going to present a lot of the same issues that the Kansas and UCF did. Just like we said after UCF, how will you, uh, OU respond on defense against Kansas? It's the same question now. Can the Sooners get things tightened this week? Can they be more disciplined? Can they be better tackling? Can guys like Danny Stutzman, if he's even playing, bring better performances? Because they're really individually, it was a rough day for the Sooners defense. And then as a whole, they really struggled. That's where I start. I I think the Sooners, if they get out of their own way, can score. You might ask me about Jeff Levy, and we talked about Dylan Gabriel in the run game. But I think... If they're doing, if they're getting out of their own way, they're going to be able to score points. My question is, what can they do against Alan Bowman and Ollie Gordon in stopping this OSU attack? All right, so uh, we're recording this on a Monday, just to kind of pull back the curtain. Uh, so by the time this is released, the news may change. But what's the latest on the Sooners' injury situation as as we look towards Bedlam? And you know, where are, where are some spots where you know the Sooners may be missing key players this weekend? Three spots you'd look, Tawi Walker, Danny Stutzman, Gentry Williams. Tawi Walker was prolific, career-high rushing yards, uh, 146, until he uh, left that game Saturday with an ankle injury. He spoke post-game 
said it was sore, said he just didn't feel 100%, not good enough to go. I think that would give you some encouragement. I mean, he wouldn't know certainly at that point how his ankle was going to be feeling Sunday morning. I'm sure he got evaluated, got treatment, all that. But based on that, you know, the, the severity on the day it happened, you'd like to think he could give it a go Saturday. Danny Stutzman, fairly unclear. I'd say it's encouraging. You know, he it, it happened on a play where he and Desan McCullough looked like went knee to knee, but it was an ankle injury for Danny Stutzman on the right side. He came out after halftime with the, the ankle heavily taped up and he tried to play. So I think that gives you some sense perhaps of, of the severity. But the fact is he came on for one special team snap and one defensive snap and he was done. That doesn't bode great. Brent Venables didn't have much of an update post game. We'll talk to him. You said today's Monday. We'll talk to him Tuesday morning. Should have some sort of update then. But I mean, if you're an OU fan and you're talking about the guys on this defense who matter, Danny Stutzman's top of that list. That's huge. And then Gentry Williams, who's been so solid starting at cornerback opposite Woody Washington. He was out, uh, not available against Kansas. Sounds like it's not a long-term issue, but we'll find out. And, and I do think this defense, both in terms of its starting 11, you know, Kenai Walker in there struggled at times, but also the depth. Kenai Walker's a lot better as a depth cornerback than he is as your starter. And so having Gentry Williams in and available will be big in Bedlam. Those are the three injuries. We'll see how they develop this week. Those would be the places I'm looking. Don't forget, follow Eli on Twitter, uh, <clears throat> X, whatever they call it now, at by Eli, Eli Letterman. Uh, you know, subscribe to the Letterman jacket, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, you can get your updates from Eli. Eli-Letterman.com as well for all the latest on all those injuries this week because it is a big week with Bedlam. It's a big week for you, though, Eli, because when it comes to proper football, you're a Tottenham Hotspur supporter, and they are still top of the table so i'll let you have the floor and brag on Ange ball and tottenham hotspur as right now uh young Min's son just scores when he wants it sounds like oh does it feel nice and also does it feel like such a departure from a year ago when we were struggling through conte ball so depressing so dark now it's all bright they're playing islands in the stream in the in the dressing room playing it in the stadium it all feels good I think they're playing Islands in the Stream uh, FC is like who they've been playing the last. Oh, come on now. I mean, you said you were going to give me this moment. You couldn't even even give me that for 30 seconds before you had to undercut this. They've played the bottom half of the league. They should be in first place. Well, it's it's impressive, but even you would admit the schedule is going to get pretty tough pretty soon. It's going to get tougher, but let's not act like they haven't played Arsenal and Liverpool, taking four points off those games. And look, you come at this from a different perspective with City, but for Tottenham, going out and just collecting points from the teams you're supposed to beat has not been a given for Tottenham. That's not a given for anyone in the Premier League. We know how tough the league is. I'd say outside of the promoted clubs, of which Tottenham have played at least two. I don't think they've played the third. Who are we talking? No, they've played Sheffield, they've played Burnley and Luton. They have played them all. But point is, there's not... Outside of those games, how many easy games do you see in the Premier League right now? Not about Tottenham, but just broadly speaking. The league has gotten so deep and good, there are no easy results. No, I'm with you. I'm giving you hell, obviously. Uh, Tottenham are playing well, but... You're just getting worried because you're seeing a title contender, uh, someone to come at City's reign. You, You were so friendly about Tottenham just a few weeks ago. I'm feeling the temperature changing, and it's simply just got to be that you are getting nervous. 
we're 10 matches in get to christmas and then i'll start getting nervous uh we still got a little way to go before we, we get got anywhere. City on december 3rd baby uh, bring it on that, that'll you'll be at the big 12 championship game right or is that the sunday after well it's the sunday after and okay. shoot who knows where we'll be at that point okay well you better get back home so you can witness that in person uh i i will say this man city looked good on sunday they he looked good indeed. against Manchester United. I, it was questionable. I don't know if you saw the lineup that Eric Ten Hag ran out, but you know the <laughs> the center back pairing of Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire did struggle to deal with Erling. Well, here's Holland. what I'll say: Who has City played? They've actually played a pretty tough schedule. But don't throw uh, Manchester United at me as one of their hard matchups because well, this version of Manchester United is uh, diminished. I would agree with you, but I also felt like it was. Thinking about a city have had some injury issues of their own. There's no Kevin De Bruyne, and he's he's been kind of a Man United killer over his career. Uh, and then B, you have the first match at Old Trafford after the death of Bobby Charlton. I just thought it was going to be a tough spot to go in and mm-hmm. win as easily as City did. And I think it was more to do with how inept Manchester United was, honestly, than how great City was. But City gets the win. Erling Holland scores two goals. Uh, they win 3-0, and that's despite Onana having eight saves and a couple of really good saves in there as well. Holland could have scored five if Onana, you know, wasn't having a great match. And instead, he scores two. City win 3-0 very easily. It's a good win for Manchester City. I think, honestly, if we really want to talk about what you bring out of that game, it's questions about Manchester United. I mean, everything is being discussed now. It it bothers me as a, I mean, I'm, I say a neutral. I've got plenty of biases against Manchester United. They can't lose a game without it being, it, it's never about what happens on the pitch. It's never about the manager. It's about the right. ownership. Because what, the Glazers were the ones who shipped all three goals yesterday, right? That was right. on them, yeah. the ownership. Yeah. Um, but I, I, we've said it on here before, and I, it, there's some places I feel sympathy for Eric Ten Hag in terms of, I'm, I'm sure it can't be a fun situation at Manchester United with, with ownership and flux and all that. But we're, we don't know what they do. We still don't know what they really want to do when they're in possession. We don't know what they're really trying to do when they set up. They've had injuries, but they've spent a lot of money and a lot of money on guys they can't seem to fit into that squad. And it just seems like it's not... I, you struggle to see where it gets better. Maybe they get healthier, but... They've dug themselves a hole. They don't seem to have a lot of proven strategies to get out of it. And it's all just kind of a disaster on that side of Manchester. Well, and uh, Eric Ten Hag, as much as, much as you want to say, like, oh, it's been tough and he's had this and that to deal with, I don't understand the lineup he trots out yesterday. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not a good lineup. You struggle to see how they can do anything resembling what he wants them to do with that lineup and a lot of it is injury a lot of it is off the field stuff a lot of it is in the ownership and in in the players that they've brought in but those same united fans that will tell you that it's all the ownership's fault this time a year ago after they got rid of ronaldo and started winning some games we're telling you it's finally good to see somebody let a manager implement his system Mm -hmm. right and now here we are a year later and it's blaming the ownership again it's like this circle that just keeps happening with Manchester United. It reminds me a lot of Liverpool like 10 years ago. It feels that way. Just kind of a giant that can't get, get out of its own way, which should be a giant. You know, Todd, I like to think of us as the Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher of, <laughs> uh, 
of sellout crowd and of Oklahoma media. There was that clip that came out yesterday after after the match of debating Eric Ten Hag and uh, Gary Neville seemed to suggest that Ange Postacoglu at Tottenham and Unai Emery at Aston Villa came into more stable situations than Eric Ten Hag. Now, there's plenty going on at, at Manchester United. But you can't tell me a club that spend that has spent like five hundred million dollars on his squad uh, in the time he's been there, less than two years, is the less stable spot than Villa, which were teetering. I mean, they were almost in the relegation scrap last year when Emery showed up, and then Tottenham, Tottenham instability. When was the last time you heard that? Right, that, that those two words uttered in the same sentence. The summer where they had a director of football going to prison. Uh, I mean, owner, we, we're talking perhaps going to prison. Well, we're talking about a team who last year their manager in a post-game press conference basically said, yeah, nobody can win here. Nobody these can guys, win these here. These guys have no heart. Harry Kane leaves this summer, so let's yeah. let's be careful on shifting the goalposts on what, what Eric Ten Hag has dealt with um, at Manchester United and what they're dealing with. I don't know where the answers are. Yeah, I'm with you. That's, uh, that's as my friend Barry Trammell would say, that's crazy talk from, uh, from Ange Pot- or from... Uh, um, Gary Neville. Gary Neville about Ange Postacoglu. He he to me is if we're talking like you know manager of the year right now, it's got to be him and Easy. the job he's doing. But it's still early. There's a lot so left early. to be played. I I will put the asterisk next to this comment when I say it's still early. Same for this comment. But right now, Aston Villa are soaring. Our friend Mike Kaler, the K Man, is loving what the villains are doing. Ollie Watkins, you want to talk about the hottest player in the league right now? It's not Erling Holland. It's not. Young men's son. I think it's Ollie Watkins right now, Eli. He's got an argument for it. And it's cool to see him playing this way. People he's 28. He feels like he should be like six years younger. But mm-hmm. he's been awesome. And it is cool. You know, you see a guy break out at one club and then get that bigger move. He obviously didn't make the move from, say, you know, up to Manchester City or one of the, the big six, but made a move. He's an England international, a lot of pressure at that position. It, he's just gone and done it, and this Villa team is really fun. To me, the big thing that sticks out is just Unai Emery, who it's a cool story. One of the most accomplished managers in the world has done it in Spain, has done it a lot of different places. You do not want to see Unai Emery in a cup competition. I don't think he has a knack for coaching teams through tournaments exceptionally well, but the, the black eye on his resume was what was a failure at, at Arsenal, right? And it seemed like wrong place, wrong time, or maybe a job that was too big for him. So to see him come back to England, come to the Premier League, and find the success he has, playing some really stylish, proper football, I think has been quite cool and, and sort of a, a vindication for a great manager who caught a lot of flack when he was, was at Arsenal. He, he's coming good now. Yeah, I think Unai Emery is the perfect example of uh, situational fit. And I think, you know, for a basketball comparison, he's your perfect mid-major college basketball coach that maybe is not going to do well in the ACC or the Big 12. But, you know, at Northern Iowa is going to kill it. Uh, you know, he's your... Shaka Smart, man. Shaka yeah, exa- Smart. Exa- yeah, that's a great comparison, a really good comparison. I know he had success at, at Washington, but he's your Chris Peterson at Boise State type of guy. Just seems like the perfect fit. Mark Few at Gonzaga or something like that. I don't know what Mark Few would do if he coached a UConn or, you know, a school like that. So it's just, it's worked out perfectly. I think there's a lot of similarities between what he did in Spain uh, last year and what he's doing right now, Villarreal last year, and what he's doing now with Aston Villa a couple years ago, whenever that was. 
I think there are a lot of similarities just between those fan bases. Uh, you know, the obviously the financial situation, and they deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing. If there's if there's anyone that doesn't have respect for what Aston Villa has done this season with kind of, again, their wage bill, the money they spend, and what Emery's done to build that team up, then you kind of just hate a good time. Because, I, you know, unless they're a rival, I don't know how you can't respect them this year. Indeed. And, man, it's amazing. We talk about fit and managers. When it clicks, it really clicks in the Premier League. Pep Guardiola and City and all the financial advantages or uh, legal or otherwise, they fit. Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool has been a perfect marriage. You see what happens Tottenham. You go from Mauricio Pochettino, which was a perfect marriage until it wasn't, to Jose Mourinho, Nuno Espirito Santo, Antonio Conte. Brutal. Ange Postacoglu is a fit for Tottenham. Unai Emery is a fit for Aston Villa. Flip side, is Eric Ten Hag a true fit for Manchester United? We'll find out. But it, it is amazing how simple it can be sometimes. Hard to find, but fit makes a huge difference. Unai Emery was not a fit at Arsenal at the time he was there. He's perfect for Aston Villa right now. All right, Eli, we saw Sheffield United get blasted by Arsenal 5-0 this weekend. The Blades have one point from their first 10 matches. Right above them, Burnley, Right above, or maybe it's right above them is Luton, then Burnley. They're the bottom three. They're the three teams that got promoted. We've never seen all three teams that got promoted also get relegated the next year, but God, they look like they're the worst three teams by far in the league, don't they? They do, unfortunately, because there's good stories there. You'd want to see Burnley stay up. You'd want to root for Luton. Sheffield feel like the yo-yo team. I don't really need to see come up or down again. Or I guess if they go down, come up again. But it feels like they'd be the, easily the three favorites to go back down. And, and that's a shame. I would say you know, this is good for This is good for American Everton fans. And there are a well, lot that's of That's for damn sure. And I think about... Our buddy Tyler down at Skinny's. That's who I think of when I think Everton. So I hope for his sake they stay up. They, you know, they've already got 10 points. That feels like a, a cushion. It's early, but that feels like a cushion. I would worry if I were a Bournemouth supporter. I know how many we got out there listening. But that's the one club that if you're looking outside of the promoted clubs who, who could go down, there's, also, there's a bit of you know karma too. Gary O'Neill kept them up last year. They binned him over the summer in favor of a flashy new hire. Gary O'Neill's got Wolves looking not just safe and, and perhaps relegation safe, but looking really good. And Bournemouth, I think, are the most vulnerable of the non-promoted sides. If, if they can't right the ship, they've certainly got the resources. They have advantages over everybody else in the relegation scrap. But if they can't figure it out, they'd be the one I'd look out outside of those three teams is maybe getting pulled down into that whole mess. Yeah, usually 40 points is the magic number. You get to 40, you're clear. Right now, Everton are on pace for 38. I think that's going to be well clear this year in the Premier League. Let's look to this weekend real quickly. The big match, Sunday, 12.30 p.m., we have Arsenal and Newcastle. At St. James' Park, should be a really good one. Newcastle kind of tested by Wolves over the weekend. Might have been gotten even a fortunate penalty. Let me me correct myself. Saturday, 12.30 p.m., so you'll be... Watching that before Bedlam. Indeed, I will. It'll be fun. But I, I think that's, you know, Arsenal, big weekend against uh, Sheffield. Uh, yeah, Sheffield, they had the big win over City. But I do, you know, I, I think you look at that Chelsea game where they were down 2 0 and kind of clawed back. Uh, they've handled their test this year with a kind of mixed results. 
this is another opportunity. It's the same for Newcastle. You'd look at them and say, kind of which Newcastle is going to show up. This is going to be some sort of litmus test for where they are. Easily the game of the weekend uh, before we get to Tottenham-Chelsea Monday. Um, I think for Newcastle, this is a chance to maybe make a statement about where they are. You know, they're, they're in Europe this year. They're, they're stretched across multiple competitions. Go out and beat Arsenal, uh, whether we're talking, you know, just top four chase or title chase this early. Who knows? This could be a statement for them. Same for Arsenal to, to go out there and well, Tottenham and, and City are setting a pace. They're right there. Can they hang with that group? But I, I do think there's still questions about what Arsenal have going on. Might get some answers on Saturday. Well, I, Arsenal's done a good job. They made it through this first, you know, group stage kind of surge of Champions League matches. But the real test is that second surge of group stage, stage matches. You know, the FA Cup starts to pick up. Uh, the Carabao Cup picks up. If I think they're still in that one, and then you also have you know the the schedules that are all mixed together at Boxing Day. The condensed schedules. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the always a couple period, games. as they call it, otherwise known as the we're going to run all these players into the ground exactly. in the month exactly. of December period. Exactly. And so Arsenal, you know, are going to have to make it through that. And uh, so far, I think they've shown that they are definitely a title contender this year. If you thought there was going to be a second year dip from them we have not seen that yet so uh that'll be a really good match on uh saturday and st james's park always a tough place to go win last one before we get out of here tottenham chelsea how do you feel about your spurs are they going to be in first place when we talk again next week i would like to i feel good about that match it's just got so much going into it i mean the scene is going to be incredible you have tottenham top of the table as good as it could be going under Ange Postacoglu. Well, Chelsea arrived with Mauricio Pochettino, the manager who from the day Tottenham sacked him in November 2019, we've all been, Tottenham fans have been clamoring for him to come back, even down to this summer before they hired Ange Postacoglu. Now he's back with Chelsea, like the arch rival. The only worst thing he could have done would have been to go to Arsenal. Some would argue this is worse than going to Arsenal, and Chelsea are struggling just to, to get points. So consider that whole scene. I'm a little conflicted. I know there's Tottenham fans who are ready to boo Mauricio Pochettino. I'm not there yet, but I can't say it doesn't feel good to be going into this game with, with a new guy. We got our, our manager we feel good about and seeing Chelsea struggle. Don't exactly mind it, but it's going to set up big. The occasion's going to be big. I guarantee you it'll be loud. I hope all of that goes in Tottenham's favor. Eli, what have you got going on this week as you're covering Oklahoma, getting ready for Bedlam this weekend? We've got tons. I mean, we've got Bedlam stuff. I'll have some big stories at the end of the week, but we got plenty to dive into on the Sooners. Tawi Walker uh, showed us why he is Oklahoma's number one running back. His absence showed us just how big of an issue it is for Oklahoma, that he's so important to the offense. I'll have something on that. Have a dive into Jeff Lebby and the struggles of this offense midweek. Tons of OUOSU stuff coming before we head to Stillwater Saturday. Don't forget, if you liked what you heard here, hit that subscribe button, whether you're on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And if you hate what you heard here, we would hate for you to hit that subscribe button. Uh, but only the people that liked what they heard, we'd like for you to leave a review as well. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Todd Pod. Until then, thanks to Jacqueline Musgrove, our producer. Thanks to our creative director, Michael Lane. And you guys be safe out there. Thank you.